Well, this morning, um, I was looking at uh, a passage that I actually studied and spoke on last night at our basketball program for Agdao. And um, I was thinking about the way the world likes to look and boast about the world. You look up like on Facebook, um, you often see things there that it's, <clears throat> hey, it's your life. You have the power to transform. You can do this. You decide what's right for you. And you will succeed because of your ability. Boast in what you have done. I went from this to this. You'll see it. With, and, you know, we're here in a business world right here, right now, right? So how many business people can you count walk with that pride? Like, I built this. This success is down to my ability to be great, to be better than the next guy, or to, to be the best seller, to be the best whatever it is. And you see this boasting attitude growing. And the world shows this as success. You'll often see this. But have you also noticed a lot of these figures online that are truly successful in the world's eyes, <clears throat> suddenly news breaks out. There's something terrible going on in the background. You know, I was talking to my wife. There was a man called O.J. Simpson back in the day. Do you ever remember that story? He's an American football player, super successful. Um, and then <clears throat> suddenly it comes out his wife um, was murdered. And then, then, then they're saying actually it was him who'd murdered his wife, but he was hiding that sin in the midst of popularity. So in the eyes of the world, he's the big, strong, strapping, successful athlete. But deep down in the secret, he was a failure. And he knew it, and he tried to cover it up. And you see, but the world would say, well, just boast about your ability, your success. And then everybody else thinks, well, that's what success looks like. And that's how I should act. So this morning... I want to tackle that because here in the business world, we're all in the business world here, right? This is our worship unto the Lord, if you really look at it correctly. We can boast in the wrong things and not get things in order. And so I want to challenge us this morning um, with these passages of Scripture. So if you have your Bible or you're on your phone, Jeremiah 9, verse 23 to 24. This is actually a, a Bible memory verses that we're encouraging our young people from Magdao and basketball to memorize. <clears throat> so this is what it says in Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. This <clears throat> is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom. <clears throat> this is what I was talking about earlier. You think you're smart. You think you're great. You think of yourself, basically, that you are an intelligent being above others. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. <clears throat> that pretty much sums up Facebook and social media, doesn't it? Money, the rich, looks, your body, your strength, the brain, your ability to achieve everything for yourself. This is a picture of what the principalities of the air is declaring to us as success, as <clears throat> the target and this can infiltrate us in our workplace. Think about it. <clears throat> and with the pressure of the workplace says, be smarter, be the smartest. Think, outthink your opponent, outthink your neighbor. Be better than them. 
right? Or you think, oh, I'm going to be stronger physically. I'm going to look more beautiful than the next. Here's the next selfie of my beautiful face. It's wider. It's darker. It's, it's bigger, smaller eyes, bigger eyes, bigger muscles, smaller muscles, thinner, faster. Just think about it. They're selling products online all the time to help you to potentially boast <clears throat> or the rich. What's your house look like? What's your car? What do you have in the public's eyes? that makes you look successful. Bearing in mind, when you look online, so many of these stories come out and they're not successful. They're sad. They'll end up killing themselves. <clears throat> I'm thinking about comedians. What's his name? Um, Robin Williams. What a beautiful picture of a man, but he had battles. He didn't have that inner peace, which is really what is, what is life if you don't have peace. You can pretend all you want. You can boast all you want. You don't have that. So the Word of God is telling you a secret of how to boast correctly. There's nothing wrong in boasting, but in whom are we boasting? So it says here, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. Boast about the fact that you know God, that you have the understanding to know God, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So the Lord delights in kindness, justice, and righteousness here on earth. Boast about knowing that, knowing God in his kindness, because of God. So that's where our boast needs to be based on. It's a total opposite to what the world would say. Boast in yourself, in your ability to act kindly, in your ability to be justice, in your ability to be right because it's your choice. You see, it's the complete opposite, in your ability to succeed even. And I'm reminded of a story of King David in this. We all know the story of David. I'm going to read two passages that shows how he succeeded, but in the midst of it, he had a secret. And he was a failure morally and spiritually and actually physically. In the secret, he'd slept with a woman who was married. He had a dark secret. In the public, he was boasted upon. And I'm going to show you the two scriptures that correlate to that. But before I do that, I want to ask you this question. Publicly, or what motivates you to walk publicly? What is it that you're trying to exude in the public? What's the motivation for that? Because that will show you what's going on in the secret, in the private. Because if your motivation is just to look better, to be stronger, to be smarter, to be successful in yourself, that means that your focus is on yourself and not in knowing the Lord, just like it says here. So yeah, you can be successful. You could look great. You can have a Porsche. You can have a paycheck that's like a million bucks. You can have everything that the world says, and yet... Your success is not true success. It's failing. So what I want to talk about this morning is we focus our motivation on our private life. What goes on on the inside, in the secret, in the quiet place? Like Jesus said, when you pray, go behind closed doors. Go to your room alone. Shut the door. Shut the door on the world and all the noise that it brings and come to me. You see... <clears throat> I want to challenge us as believers to walk 
as one who boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know God. Because when we know God, we walk in accordance to his will, which means that we will walk with kindness, justice, and righteousness, but not ours, but his, Christ in me. There's a big difference. So when we boast, we boast about him, but we don't, we're not motivated to promote ourselves. And that's what social media does. It's terrible in that it helps that fleshly desire to promote oneself. Look at my holidays, or nothing wrong with going on holidays. None of these things are wrong in and of themselves. Nothing wrong with having a nice car. That's what God's blessed you with, good. But your boast is not in your ability in that. Your boast should be God has provided for me in God. And actually, why boast? Why not allow God, if he so desires, to raise you up at the right time? So your focus isn't on making yourself known, but making God known. You see, with David, I want to read you this. If you look at uh, 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, okay? 1 Chronicles 20. This talks about outward success. And this is pretty big, King David, right? It says this. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, when, when people like David normally should be going out, doing the work that God had destined for him to do, a proportion for him to do. His focus was on what the king should normally do, okay? What happens? Joab, not David, led the Israelite army in a successful attack against the land of the Ammonites. In the process, he laid siege to the city of Rabbah, attacking and destroying it. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem, he wasn't doing, if you see here, he wasn't doing what normally should have been done by kings. There's a first clue. Then David went to Rabbah, and look at this, this is amazing, and removed the crown from the king's head, the ones that they'd conquered, and it was placed on his own head. Talk about, I am stronger, I am boastful, I'm better than you, I outsmarted you, right? And I'm showing my justice, I'm the king over your kingdom. Do you see the correlation, he puts the crown on his head and it was placed on his own head. The crown was made of gold and set with gems. He hit the jackpot. Everybody's watching this. Imagine this on social media. He takes the crown and goes, what once was his is now mine. His kingdom is my kingdom. I'm stronger, I'm smarter. And it was set with gems and he found that it weighed 75 pounds. This is a heavy loot. He won something big, 75 pounds of gold and jewels. How much is that worth today? Just imagine, millions, okay? So in the sight of the world, <gasps> successful Jud Gayu, look at that guy. He's good looking. He wears a crown. He's got horses and chariots. He's got everything sorted. And then more than that, David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. He got more than just a crown. He took over. He showed his superiority. He showed his ability. It's like, imagine here in the workplace, you get a bonus check um, in the sales. You get a commission that's bigger than everybody else's. And you're like, yep, I made it. Or I've been promoted in my job. I've now become the supervisor, the manager. I'm now the king over the next guy, and I defeated them. Look how successful I am. Okay, so in the midst of all of this happening, 
At the same time, remember David didn't go out as normally kings would. He stayed back. Go to 2 Samuel 11. And this is the hidden thing that was going on in the background. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And I'm going to read this out because I think it's important because what I want to talk about is if we're going to boast, make sure that we're boasting in the Lord because we could lie in danger. Our motivation for boasting needs to be questioned today. You see, in the seemingly public spectacle of his success, there was something going on that was that actually ended up affecting the rest of his generations. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. Isn't that interesting? The same question again. When king should. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. He should have gone out, right? Instead, he sends somebody else. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, like we read earlier in Chronicles. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. At the same time, while he had public success, there was something so dark and so shameful and so morally unaligned with who God had called him to be. God had appointed him. God had given him a purpose beyond himself to lead a people, to bring his justice, his kindness, his mercy. For that is what God delights in. But David neglected and ended up putting the crown on his head, while underneath, in the private, his life was a shambles. Can you imagine what was going on in his mind? He got this girl's husband murdered. He sent out her husband to the front lines. He schemed to try to cover up his sin the best that he could because he knew he'd done wrong in the private, in the secret. You see, and it started off by stepping out of what God had called him to do. He rested and got off his horse and went back onto the ground when he should have been in the midst of the war. He should have been focused on what God had called him to do. What does God call us to do? To focus on him, to, to know him. That's our boast, is that we know God. If you think about it, that is an outrageous boast. I know the creator of the heavens and the universe, and he knows me. I love him and he loves me. It's like, what in the world? That is, if you really meditate on that, that is an amazing thing to boast on. Therefore, I will act in kindness. I will act in mercy and goodness and justice because that's what the Lord delights in. That's what he puts in us. But in the secret, so in the public, and this is what strikes me, you know, um, I, I, I like to keep tabs on what's going on in the public with the young people, the music, the lifestyle. It lets me understand the depravity that's being promoted. Be successful. Be you. Do what you, work, do what you do. 
only you can make a difference. It's like, no, actually, don't boast in you. Boast in knowing God. Then you will truly have success. Because even when you have success publicly, I can't imagine the turmoil King David would have suffered when he received that crown. When he would have taken the crown, and in the back of his mind he's thinking, I got that girl pregnant. I got her husband killed. Imagine, I sent him out on purpose. His blood is on my hands. And I defiled something sacred. Let me ask you this question, because all of us can be like a King David. In public, our motivation, our focus has, has shifted off. Where we should be, we're kings and priests. That's what the Lord calls us. So when as kings, we should be out doing what we're called to do. Boasting and understanding God. Walking out in justice, righteousness, and kindness. Instead, we're walking out in our own ability, our own wisdom, our own strength. Boasting in that, focusing on that. Why not do this? Focus on the secret, the private place. And if God or when God should desire to raise you up and publicly acknowledge you, then celebrate. But, but the world says, no, focus on celebrating yourself first. Fake it until you make it. Have you heard that statement? Right? And it worries me. I look here. I've lived in Europe. I, I, I look in the malls and we're talking about it. Like the debt, the, the, the lure of, here's a brand new car. You could, there was one car in the mall said one peso payment, down payment for one peso. You could own this shiny new car. You could look so good in this car. Imagine the salespeople. Sir, ma'am, you could be in the driving seat. And when you roll that window down and this brand new car is there, it's your face being seen. You can fake it like you made it. You can look good on the outside. And you know on the inside, you're rotten. You're suffering. You're questioning even the purpose of your life. There are people that are struggling on the inside. But yet, I've met so many successful business folks. And when I've spent less than two minutes with them, I've realized you are so lost. You are so thirsty. You are so hungry for something more and something greater. They don't realize that that gap, that hole, is only God can fill. And so they're trying to fill it with faking it till they make it. And even when they make it, it's still a fake success. So I want to encourage you, don't be fooled by what the world is sharing. Be aware of the world's motives, which is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's literally it. To steal, kill, and destroy. The principalities of the air is owned by Satan, right? His, his cohorts. All of these agendas are to steal, to kill, and to destroy your destiny and your identity. And it wants to take your focus. It wants to take you off the horse when you should be in the battle for the Lord, for His glory. David got off his horse and sent somebody else in his place. He relied on something else and decided to chill. And it led to a series. I, I just, you know, I, it, it blows me away to think, man... When he put on that crown, 75 pounds of glory. <laughs> Literally, gold and gems. That's pretty public, isn't it? And everybody would have watched him take it off the king. And he would have fulfilled all three of those things that we read in Jeremiah. He was smarter, stronger, and now richer. 
Yay, you made it. I want to be just like you. And I, I, it, it, it's like, it's such a perfect picture of the way the world is. And the, that's why the word is so important to focus us, to sharpen us, to bring us to repentance. Because actually, if you find yourself in any place in our heart where we could be like a David or like so many characters in the word, there's a chance today and say, Lord God, purify my heart. I want to come back to you. Today is a new day that God has made, right? We can be thankful. You look at the, uh, the uh, prayers of David when he begins his thankful journey because he knows that God has forgiven him of his great inner sin and his secrets. They're the most amazing words, all right? You look at the Psalms. God, you are so good. Why is he so thankful? Because he knows how deep his sin was. Yet God was saying, you could come back. There's nothing that you can do to separate you from God's love. But we can separate ourselves from him. Does that make sense? And it starts with our focus for what we're boasting upon in our lives. Because all of us want to be successful. Nothing wrong in that. But in what are we boasting our success upon? And in whom? And that's why I want to challenge us. Start in the private today. Check your heart. Say, God, when I get my big paycheck, when I get a nicer car or a nicer house, am I boasting in my ability? I believe all of you here will succeed. And the world will think you're, you're super successful. But in the private, are you successful? In the secret, are you successful? Can you walk and say, I'm trusting in God. I don't boast in myself. In fact, I'll boast in my weakness because in my weakness, he is made strong. He is glorified. Amen? So we'll worship and let's come back to that place. It's a great day because if we find, and I'm pretty sure all of us have got a place in our heart where we're a little bit like David, maybe lost sight, maybe got off our horse a little bit. Today's a great day because God says, come back. Son, daughter, come. Arms are wide open. There is no fear in my presence. Just surrender in my presence. Amen? All right. So, okay. So another Friday here. And um, I, I was thinking about all of us this week. And obviously I was thinking about us as a Filipino community and a nation and coming off the 4th of July, celebrating independence, celebrating our freedoms of one sort, form or another, either Philippine independence a couple of weeks back or American independence uh, yesterday, 4th of July. So, um, and just the celebration of eating and prepping, everybody eating. So I just had that vision in my mind. <clears throat> then I started to think about the concept of, if you're into fitness, <clears throat> there's that statement, you can work out in the gym as much as you want, but if you're not faithful in the kitchen, it's not really gonna do much, right? So, and there's another statement that you all know, it's called, you are what you eat. So if you think about it in life, physically, you are what you eat. You can. You can pretty much know if you're going to go down a healthy path or an unhealthy path, you know, and what you eat, what you crave will dictate what you end up going, becoming. Does that make sense? So I thought, well, what does the word of God actually say that? And then beyond that, who's our greatest example? It's Jesus, right? What would Jesus do? Have you seen those bracelets? WWJD, right? 
So what would Jesus do in about what you are, what you eat? How did he live? How was his walk in life? And so <clears throat> obviously we all like to eat. We all crave. There's a physical craving we're made to have fuel in our bodies. Um, but what I want to suggest today, if we were going to go online and create an advert as business people, it'd be something like this. The greatest eating plan for life. The one-time diet that will transform your life forever. Just imagine, if you put that up, people are like, oh, I need that. The, the secret to being super fit and healthy for now until your old age. Well, I'd like to say that today we have an eating plan that will be great, not just for our life now here on earth, but beyond the life that God has given us for eternity because we are spiritual beings. We are beings made for eternity. So there's a diet plan, an eating. I don't want to call it a diet. It's more of a lifestyle, but an eating lifestyle, um, which is, by the way, it's the greatest diet you can have not just counting calories, but it's your lifestyle. But in the spiritual, the lifestyle, the plan that you have will affect the way you become. So in the same instance, I wanna preface this, that eating isn't just physical, right? Our cravings. We can also crave spiritual and mental food, fleshly food, right? Things like motivations. You may be craving um, judgment. Some people feed off the ability to judge others. I've seen people that cannot sing hardly anything, a note, and yet when they watch like American Idol or something, they are the most opinionated judge people. Well, they're not as good as this. I think their tone is a little bit off. I'm like, can you sing? Are you there? Oh, well, they're piano playing. And you're like, and so they, they feed off the judgmental ability. There's basketball players are like that, sports players. You know, they're very, LeBron James is the perfect example. Everyone loves to diss him, to just to dishonor his skills. And yet you're thinking, well, can you play like LeBron? Probably not. So I don't know how you can judge the man without knowing the man, you know? Another thing that you can feed on is the wrong intentions. We're fed by intentions that are gratifying for ourselves and not honorable to others. Unforgiveness can also be our food. The lack of ability to forgive can feed you negatively, and it will feed you for a certain time, but you'll then find that you become what you eat. The rot of unforgiveness will rot your life, and you'll see that in your life. And I wanna break these big things down. Offense is another one. We can feed off offense. Well, because they did that, I don't ever have to do this. Well, they hurt my feelings, and so I don't have to act righteously. I can just, it's like, you know, if you say that you follow Christ, is that what he called you to do? Is that what Christ himself did? What would Jesus do in these circumstances of offense? I think the greatest offense was made to God himself, was it not? To his son who died and took our sin. What did Jesus do? If that's our food, we'll become what we eat. So I just want to say, let's beware. So <clears throat> being that it's freedom week, I want to encourage us not to waste our freedom in Christ on devouring things that don't edify God and literally don't edify us that will rot us. What do you crave today? 
I want you guys to open to the book of John 4, verse 31 to 38. I've got about two or three passages. If you have it on your phone, read it. If not, I will read this out. This is a passage shortly after Jesus met a woman at the well who had uh, actually no husband and she was living a very sinful life. Um, but I just want to jump to this one section because I'm talking about if we want to know what good cravings are, if we want to know the best diet plan in the world for our spiritual being, let's look to Jesus. He's the greatest example. So John chapter 4, 31 to 38. I'm just going to read this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. They're clearly seeing that Jesus hadn't eaten something physically. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done that work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. It's interesting here that Jesus' response to the physical nourishment that, the, that his disciples felt he needed was, hold up, there's, I'm trying to show you what truly nourishes me. Not the things of my flesh, but doing the will of my Father. And it's not a question of what is the will of my Father. He says, the fields are ripe for the harvest. It's not like, what can I do to do the will of my Father? He says, to go and preach the gospel, to make disciples to the ends of the earth. So what nourishes us, what we should be craving in our diet, in our lifestyle, our eating, our habit, are things that are not of this world. He was basically saying, I know that you're looking at this on a physical level. I'm looking at this as a supernatural level, what you're made for. What you're built for, this is what drives me, is to do the will of my Father. This is what feeds me. This is the very source that, it, what does he say, that nourishes me. Nourishment that brings me peace and joy. So often in life, we're trying to feed ourselves with things, like I said earlier, unforgiveness or hurt or offense, any of those things, and we think it's feeding us. Yes, it's definitely feeding you but it's feeding you rotten food. It's feeding you food that will bear a fruit that you do not desire because it's death. What Jesus is trying to point to is say, hey look, what's your motive for what you're desiring? In the workplace, what is nourishing you? Why have this work? Why have this as worship? What are you doing that the Father has called you to do in the workplace? Are you being mindful in your family that you're trying to do the will of the Father, which is to introduce them to God? How are you creating environments and spaces that create space, like you were saying, for God, for us to con connect with God? That's why these are great opportunities on a Friday morning, because we, we carve out a space 
to, for, to, to set aside the, the nourishment of the world, the work, the things that feed us physically, and maybe some of those problematic uh, foods that we're eating, and just focus on what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do, in fact? And what did he say? So I want to encourage us, let's not waste our freedom. All of us here were saved by grace. We can all agree to that. I was thinking about it, you know, it doesn't matter. We can all celebrate the 4th of July. We have true freedom in Christ. Once we were destined for death and destruction and we were saved by his grace and by his grace alone, not by our work, by his blood, we have been freed. We were doomed, now we are set free. We're walking into the light. He is the light, we walk with the light. But I want to encourage us today not to waste that freedom with the cravings that we might have. You know, on self-indulgent motives. How can I get further today? It's like, no, how can I get deeper in love with God? How can I do more the will of God? Because I know that will nourish me more than I can ever dream, hope, or imagine. Trust in God. Seek Him first today. How can I create an environment or my reputation that encourages people to know the God that I serve because they see Him in my life? How can I love better? How can I walk with grace? How can I speak this is the nourishment that Jesus said, once you drink from me, the rivers of living waters, you will thirst no more. Not like the drink that you get from the world. It says that sin is like a tasty morsel, right? It satisfies you, but momentarily. Then you're hungry again. You notice the more sin you do, the deeper it gets. It gets numb. Then you go deeper. Then you go deeper. Then you go deeper. It never satisfies. He's saying this is the secret. This is the key to the best diet. So don't waste your freedom on food but that, that leaves you uh, to hunger. But instead, feed on the food that will lead you to never hunger and thirst again. Focus on the work that the Lord has set through our Father. Jesus said, I thrive on doing the will of my Father. That's my source. So what is the will of your father in your life today, in your home, if you're married to your husband, to your wife, if you're a parent to your children, if you're a friend or a sibling to them in the workplace, to your bosses, to your colleagues? What is the will of my father? What am I nourishing myself to ensure that clearly this is worship unto the Lord? I want you guys um, to look at Galatians 5, 13 to 15, if you've got that with you and I'm gonna read that this is a powerful bit of scripture about not wasting the very freedom that we've been afforded Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 to 15 for you have been called to live in freedom fantastic our calling all of us today there's no exception doesn't matter what you've done where you've come from who you are you are called to live in freedom. Freedom is what everybody desires, right? So you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Remember I said, what is the will of my Father? To serve one another in love. What greater love is this than man would lay down his life? That is love. That is what Jesus did. So what would Jesus do? He would love, okay? 
Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. So if you, can for, if you forget everything else and you find it confusing, here's the secret sauce. Here's the key. Love your neighbor as yourself. If the world would do this, even those that are not saved or Christians, the world would look very different. But they love themselves, not their neighbors. They, they feed themselves and don't honor their neighbors, don't love. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, here we go, it's what you consume, what motivates you. Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. The path that leads to that devouring is destruction. That's where we'll end up if we consume. You are what you eat. If you're devouring, consuming one another rather than loving them as you would love yourself, the outcome is destruction. See, the passage in John before, um, you know, he speaks to the disciples, he spoke to this woman. I'm not going to go into it. But he basically, she wanted some, he wanted water from the well. And he says this in John 4, chapter 10 to 14, because she's like, hey, you don't even have a cup or anything. How are you going to get water from the well here, Jesus? And Jesus says this, if you only knew, this is in John 4, 10 to 14, by the way, if you want to look it up. Jesus said this, if you only knew the gift God has for you. This is the thing today. We're all called to freedom. If you only knew the gift God has for you, do you know the gift God has for you today? This is the key. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, when we gather to break down the word, who's in our presence? It says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Who's here today? The King of kings, the creator of the heavens and earth. He never leaves us or forsakes us and you knew who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living waters. And this is what the woman says, the understanding of the mind starts to get in the way. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? She's starting to reason with God. Come on, God. Really? Do you understand how deep this well is? How hard my life is? Do you really think that I shouldn't focus on this? Do you really think that I should just focus on you? That I should prioritize your righteousness? I have these things to fix. Can you see her mindset? We're all the same. Our flesh cries out like this. Do you not see the task in front of me? Do you not see the pressures I'm under? Do you see how deep that is? Do you see the tools I have to have to be able to get the water out? Oh my goodness, do you not see God? And he's like, if you only knew who you're speaking to, I created the water. <laughs> the very water you think you need, I made it. Do you not think I could provide that for you? The very air that you breathe to live, I give it to you. Do you know the gift I have for you? And do you even know who I am? This is the message today. It's like, why thirst and hunger for those things that will last momentarily? I'm giving you the secret, the key to eternal life, the key to Freedom, the gift of freedom, fullness of life is in me. So she goes, how can you offer this water, uh, better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? She's even going back in history. Do you know what happened in the past? 
Do you know what happened before? Do you see the struggles I've been through? Have you seen my life? Where I've come from, the people that have been here, the struggles that we've had. It's very easy for us to be just like this woman if we allow to feed ourselves with those wrong motives. Jesus then replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So do you not know the gift that's on offer today? It's a fresh, bubbling spring within you, giving you eternal life, eternal freedom. Freedom. That's what we're celebrating these last couple of weeks. God is giving us the greatest freedom. He says, but what are you eating? What are you feasting on? What is motivating you? What are you devouring? And if you're asking, what is the will of my father? Remember that scripture. It can be summed up in this. Love your neighbor, neighbor as you love yourself. So ask yourself this question today. What you're feeding yourself on when you're in the workplace or with your family, with your loved ones, with your friends. Are your actions loving them as you would love yourself? Or are they loving yourself, forsaking them? That is the will of your Father. Are you introducing them to our Heavenly Father by the way that you love? If you're feeling offended today, God is saying, what would I do? What did I do? I laid my life down for you while you were a sinner, while you scoffed and mocked me. Yet I laid my life down. The greatest example is Christ Jesus, and he's shown us the way. He went through everything that you and I go through. That's why he was man, God. God became man, man, God. He's still God, but he went through it to say, this is the way. I am the only way. So you never want to thirst again. Come to me. Do you not know the gift I have for you today? Do you not know who you're speaking to? That's what I want to encourage us. It's a fantastic encouragement to go, You've come to me in my well of need. Jesus came to the water where the woman was. The disciples, if you read in John chapter 4, were shocked when they saw her. It says that. When they came to see Jesus, they're like, what is he doing with that woman? What in the world are you doing? See, Jesus is not afraid of whatever scenario you're in today. I want to tell you this. Whatever you're going through today... There is no fear in God to draw you back. In fact, he says, my perfect love will draw you to me. And you will know my disciples by the way that they love one another. So we are Christ's examples here. How are we loving? But it's interesting that the woman at the well had these secret sins. And yet the disciples didn't want to be associated with her, but God did. So isn't that an encouragement today that regardless and no matter what you're going through, have been through, or are struggling and battling with today, God says, I am here. I'm with you. Do you not know the gift that I'm offering you? Do you not know who I am? I'm here. Isn't that encouraging? And he says that this gift will be a bubbling spring in you. What's a bubbling spring do? It's more than what the spring needs. It provides for others. It's above and beyond what you need. That's what a bubble is. It's joyful, right? Giving you eternal life. That's the gift. 
So today, guys, you are what you eat. Therefore, what are you eating today? And if you want to know what Jesus did, he was nourished by doing the will of his father. And what is the will of his father? To love your neighbor as yourself, to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters, to point them to Christ. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord Jesus. Amen.